Welcome. Uh, so, uh, we have a guest preacher uh, today, and I'm taking a little bit of a break from preaching, but um, uh, we have a special guest. His name is Dr. James Swain, and um, I, got, I got to tell you a little bit about this guy. He is a mover and shaker in Oklahoma Baptist life, okay? He's been a pastor for, for a really, really long time in all sorts of churches um, all over the state, um, and he's also been instrumental in Falls Creek for many, many years. And this past February, he became the new president of Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. And so we have our campus here in Owasso, and there's, there's five campuses across the state, and he's overseeing all of those. And we asked him to come and to, to share um, a little bit this morning um, as we continue our sermon series, as you see behind me, on Life Verse. So he's got a, a great message for you guys. I mean, it's great for teenagers all the way up to senior adults. I mean, this is a message that every single one of us needs to hear because we heard it in the first service, and it was fantastic. And so I want to um, just introduce James and ask him to come up on stage. Why don't you all give him a warm welcome as Dr. James Swain comes up on the stage. Thank you, sir. Doctor, doctor, Thank doctor, you, Pastor. Doctor. Okay. Well, good morning. Let me just first say it is an honor to get to worship the Lord with you today. Um, in case you don't know, today is the halfway Sunday of 2023. That means today, Sunday 26. And I've been in 20 different churches in the first 26 Sundays of 2023. And uh, it is just an honor to get to worship the Lord with God's people. Uh, I like to say this, church is a team sport. We, we were not intended to follow Jesus alone. We, we were intended to do it in walking with each other. And, uh, and there's something about the people of God singing praises to God that is tremendously powerful. Um, you guys remember when, um, now a little over three years ago, when COVID first happened and we, we closed our doors and we went online. And uh, at that time, I was interim pastor out here west at First Baptist Church in Cleveland. So we, like everybody else did, we went from like 175 people in the room the next Sunday to like eight of us and an iPad. And, uh, and it was just, it was a weird season. And, and I've been a preacher all of my adult life, so I've, I, I like preaching and I like to sit under preaching and candidly, I probably had some moments where I took music for granted. And I remember very vividly that first Sunday the church came back inside of the building. It was the first Sunday in June 2020. And when they asked us to stand and sing, and I heard voices behind me singing praises to God, it just, I, I just had to sit back down and it just took me for a minute. And it took me a while to get my emotions together because I thought, of all the things that I missed, there was something about hearing people raise their voice in praise to God that just melted my heart. It's an honor to worship with you today. Um, it's an honor to be here on behalf of what we do together as Oklahoma Baptists through our Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. In fact, I, I thought um, I was visiting with Don Worley, who we've been friends for He's helped us at Falls Creek and done a lot of the cool stuff you enjoy at Falls Creek. Don had his fingers on getting there. And, um, and I was thinking about how full circle things come. So I had a chance in my previous life to kind of have some conversations with Don and, and, and give some just 
some insight as, as the church was looking for Pastor Clayton. And now I get to come back in another world and say, thank you, church. Thank you, Pastor Clayton and church family for how well you support what we do. And uh, so we've got people from, this is the home church of some of our Oklahoma Baptist children's home family. Isn't that cool? And so I told the guys, I'm not going to name them out by name, but I told the guys uh, on Thursday night of this week, we had a, a dedication ceremony for our new Brooks Brown Cottage. And uh, the guys that live in the Brooks Cottage go to church here. And so they're here this morning. A bunch of them going to Falls Creek this week. And Kendrick's the only one who said I could give him a shout out publicly. The other guys have all got their head down. But Kendrick's ready for me to say that. And uh, the Fots are here with them today. And, and uh, Millers are here with them a lot. So it's just cool that uh, you guys serve so well. And we have others from our staff who are part of that. And so thank you for your support uh, in, in so many different ways. And I would be remiss. I, in fact, I flunked the president test in the first service, Pastor. I'm, I'm always supposed to say, and we could always use help. In fact, we, we've got a, the other side of that cottage is empty because we need another set of house parents. And so pray that the Lord might lead you to come join us in what we do. And we're always excited to see how God moves in that way. I'm excited to share with you from God's Word this morning. And uh, th- I love this theme of life verse. So I've been, uh, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for over 40 years. And I, um, I've had different verses that were meaningful. When I was a young man as a follower of Christ, probably if you would have said, what's your favorite verse? I would have said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Influenced by FCA, played baseball in high school, all of that stuff. And uh, as, as I accepted the call of God and followed his assignments in my life, a verse that became very important to me was Ephesians 4.12. It talks about, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. But this verse of scripture that I'm going to share this morning has become kind of a theme in my life over the past two or three years. I was talking about when, when we first experienced as a people the pandemic. And, and um, you know, we went through this season that was really weird. You know in the Old Testament where it says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day in the eyes of the Lord? Did you know that the Hebrew word for that was COVID? Did you know that? Don't look that up. That's not, that's not true. But, but it just seems like we, we went on this treadmill. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't the initial six, eight weeks where there was all this uncertainty, but when it started to wear on me was later that next fall. And just we're just kind of just going through this, and about the time we think, hey, things are going to, and then we just, and then then we had like the, you know, what what do we have, like the, the Omicron, Delta Cron, I don't know, we had every kind of Megatron, I don't know, we had every kind of variant there was that came out. And, and I'm not making a joke about the significance of it. I'm just saying it just kept coming. And this verse of Scripture, Galatians 6, 9, became a verse that the, that the Lord just used to encourage my heart. In fact, will you say that verse that's on the screen? Let us not get tired of doing good 
for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And so if you're somebody that needs a title for the, for the sermon today, this is the title. Don't give up. Um, we have seen some really interesting things happen in our world because of where we've been over the past few years. We went through what was called the Great Resignation. One month, four million people quit their job. I, I would say this. I would call it the Great Reshuffling. Because it wasn't like there weren't jobs. We were at all-time record low unemployment. But people were wanting to do something different. And it wasn't like they didn't need jobs. Because we've been through this season of all-time high inflation, right? They, people needed to work. They needed money. But, but we just had this, this frustration and discouragement and unhappiness in life that led people to say, there's got to be more than this. And I think this frustration is because we need to be encouraged. In fact, I think the greatest need of the New Testament church today is for the people of God to be encouraged about the work that God has called us to. And encouragement is such a great biblical word. Sometimes you'll see it in Scripture, encourage or exhort. And it's a powerful word. The picture carries two ideas. It carries the idea of an arm around the shoulder, which I'd call comfort, and a hand in the back, which I'd call challenge. And for some of us, it may be a kick a little lower in the anatomy that we need. It's the idea that at times we need these things to be encouraged. And so I got to see this lived out personally in my life. So uh, I used to pastor in Chickasha, Oklahoma. It was the first place we'd ever lived. My son was about 9 or 10 years old where they had real live, like you see on ESPN in August, Little League Baseball. And uh, so they actually had two baseball streams you could go in. I called it psychopathic and Little League. The psychopathic baseball, I mean, they were like traveling all over America every weekend to do that. And, and you know what? My son, bless his heart. By the way, that's Baptist for poor you. Bless his heart. I think the only reason he really wanted to play baseball is because his dad loved baseball and he wasn't very good. And we knew we, we didn't want to travel all over America for that. And so we got in Little League. Well, in the Little League baseball in Chickasha, Oklahoma, in that season, you had these um, group of dads whose sons were older and really good, and they got all of their friends together and they were on one team. And then the next guys who got, they got the next group. And so guess what we got out of our group? We were about team number six. So we got all the youngest guys in the league and the other guys who were blessed their heart kids, right? And, and so we're out there and our first game of the year is against the best team in the league. And uh, their pitcher, who was probably the best player in the league, was out there warming up. Now, I... I'm not saying this young man was too old, but he did drive to the field that day. He shaved before the game. I mean, he, he, was, he was a mature young man. And if you're, if you're a baseball fan, you know there's a sound that a glove makes when a, when a ball hits it at a high velocity. 
And he's over there warming up, and our little nine, ten-year-old guy's eyes are all this big. And so first batter up, three strikes. He didn't, he didn't even see it, and he's out. My son's the second batter. And Josh, remember, bless his heart, he gets in the box, and he's, he's shaking. And the first pitch, and by the way, if there's a sound that baseball people know besides the sound of the ball in the glove, it's the sound of the ball hitting that plastic helmet. And the first pitch, at about that same rate of speed, right in the ear hole of my son's helmet. He goes down, helmet goes off. There is an audible gas from the stands. I'm coaching first base. I look up, my wife's in the bleachers. And I know that if I don't run down there very quick, I probably don't even need to go home after the game. I've got that look like I'm coming down there if you don't get down. So I go down because I don't want my son to be embarrassed by his mom coming on the field. And, and I, I, I get my son, I get him up, and I have my arm around him, and I say, Josh, are you okay? <laughs> he said, yeah, Dad. And by the way, he's not crying because we all know from field of, there's, there's no crying in baseball, right? Everybody knows that. And so, and then I say, okay, get your helmet on. I put my hand in the middle of his back, and I said, and get down to first base. He needed that encouragement from me. He needed the arm around the shoulder that said, are you okay? And then he needed the hand in the back that said, we've got stuff we've got to do. Church, here's what I want to accomplish this morning. I want to tell you, we're okay. And then I want to say, we've got something to do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, this great verse of Scripture that we said together. I, I want to read it aloud to you out of the ESV. The Scripture says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This verse has become a life verse to me because in the midst of the last few years, the Lord has used this verse to encourage me, and I pray to encourage you. So let me show you a couple things the Lord's shown me out of this verse. Here's the first thing. I want you to see a reality this verse states. And the reality this verse states very simply is this. Doing good is work. Now, isn't it amazing how many things in life devolve to that nasty little four-letter word, work? Work is involved in everything. And, and, and sadly, we often think that, that we just show up and everything. Listen, it takes work. It takes work to pull off everything that happens in this building on Sunday morning. Do you know that? The group that's going to Falls Creek tomorrow, that's, that's a lot of work. Everything involves work. Doing good is work. And we see it in that verse. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Now, let me show you a couple of things in that passage that the Lord's shown me. Here's the first one. Work can make us weary. If, if not, why would Paul say, let us not grow weary in doing good? So compassionate ministry can make us weary. Contending for the gospel can make us weary. And the focus of, 
of doing good in the name of Christ can make us weary. And I just want to get really transparent here. In my life, there are three areas that really can wear me out if I'm not careful. And let me share them with you. And, they, and, and I'm a Baptist preacher, so they all start with a P, okay? Here's the first one. Problems can make me weary. Now, some people like to solve problems. But, but problems that come my way wear me out. And, and let me just tell you how they do that. First of all, most of the problems that come my way are problems that were unexpected. Now, you're like me, you've got something you can say, that's going to be a problem, right? But I have a lot of stuff that comes my way that I never even saw coming. I didn't, I didn't even know it was going to happen. And, and those type problems, by the way, that's called Monday most weeks, right? They just, they just come our way. We, we didn't look for them, we didn't, they, they just, here they are. And the second thing about those problems is not only were they unexpected, but almost all of them were unwanted. <laughs> Listen, if you, if you wake up and you have an unexpected problem come your way, and then you say, boy, I'm glad that happened, there's medication for that. Really, that, that's not normal for us to say, I wish I had more problems today. Those things can make us weary. Now, here's my second P. People make me weary. Someone once said, the world I love, it's people I can't stand. And, and you just think about, and, and, and when the people that wear me out, by the way, I'm a people person. But let me tell you when people make me weary. When, when they're ungrateful. Well, we, we have a crisis of gratitude, I think, in our world today. Oh, that we that name the name of Jesus Christ would be a grateful people. I, I have a four-year-old grandson spends a lot of time at our house. And uh, he is full-blown, four, wired 220, 100 miles an hour all the time. And uh, I don't know what he's going to become in life, but I don't want him to be an ingrate. It's a technical term. And uh, I, I've, uh, I've said to him that he needs to learn the magic words. Anybody know what the magic, two magic words are? Please and thank you. You guys are awesome. What an what a impressive group of people, Pastor. And uh, sometimes my four-year-old grandson mixes them up. So he'll want something and he'll say, Nana, thank you for my milk. She'll look at him. He goes, oh, it's please. And then he smiles and he usually gets what he wants when that happens. But I don't want him to go through life not being appreciative. Listen, there, there are a few things that are more difficult to deal with than an ungrateful adult. <laughs> and I'll just tell you as a pastor, there are a few things more difficult to deal with than an ungrateful adult Christian who should grow up to the place where we recognize what God has done for us. Let me give you my second people problem. <laughs> Not only ungrateful, but I have a lot of people ask me for stuff they really don't deserve. They're unworthy. Now, before, before you get too judgmental about me or anybody else, 
I want to tell you, I clearly recognize at the top of the unworthy list is me. I'm so thankful that God doesn't give me what I deserve or have earned. But he's dealt with me in grace. So that leads me to my third P. My third P is this person. You know, I'm the number one source of wearing me out. Let me tell you when I wear myself out. I wear myself out when I'm unprepared. I'm not talking about, am I ready to get up and stand in front of you? I'm talking about spiritually prepared. If I don't spend time daily in the Word of God and daily in the presence of my Lord in prayer, I'm not ready for the problems and the people that are coming my way. And I'll get tired in a hurry. Here's the second way that I wear myself out. When I'm unfaithful. Scripture talks about the sin that so easily besets us. When I put myself in positions where I know that I'm going to yield to temptation. And when I don't confess and repent of the sin that I commit in my life. I am very quickly at a place of weariness when I do the wrong thing or even the right thing for the wrong reason I make myself tired I think we've got to be really careful that we don't grow weary because of how we're doing life and that we let the Lord renew our strength as we seek Him. Here's the reason why. Let me show you a second dynamic about this idea of doing good being work. And that is, the work we are called to do is worthy. Think about what that verse says again. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap. Or, I, I like the translation we read together. It says, at the... At the opportune time or at the proper time. In fact, that, that proper time phrase is really a good depiction of what that word means. Oftentimes, when we think of time, we think of time meaning, and by the way, everybody look at the back screen. It says that that guy's been up there for 26 minutes. Can I just tell you, Pastor Clayton took five of those. I just wanted you to know that right up front here. But you know what? When we think of time, we think, okay, we started, and Lord, we pray he's done by noon, right? Amen? By the way, bad sermons are not always long sermons, but a lot of long sermons I've heard were not as good as they would have been if they would have been shorter. Amen? So we think of time as a span. But the word here talks about time as an opportunity. Paul loves this word. Galatians 4.4, 4, he says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth of his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was born at the exact right time. He uses it again over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where after he talks about the glorious return of Jesus Christ, and he says in verse 15, and this will happen at the exact or the right time. Jesus came at the right time. He's coming again at the right time. God works all things out in his time. And, and he uses an image here that we see earlier in this verse where he talks about sowing and reaping. 
I grew up around a wheat farm in southwest Oklahoma, and, uh, and I know that in the fall, you plant the wheat, and then you pray that you get rain at the right time and that it doesn't hail at the wrong time, and then if everything goes well in May or early June, you harvest the wheat. And, and there's a cycle there. It takes that long from the seed in the ground until the harvest time. Spiritually, though, it doesn't necessarily work that way. In fact, I've, I've, I've planted places that I've never seen the harvest. But I've harvested in fields where all I did was show up at the right time. And here's the wonderful thing about the spiritual harvest. And that is that the sower and the reaper rejoice together because the Lord's the Lord of the harvest and he's ultimately the one that's bringing the increase. We're workers in the harvest. And so this worthy work that we're involved is is like sowing and reaping. And so there are some principles or some laws of the harvest that, that the quality of the harvest is based on what you sow. If we sow the good seed of the gospel, we'll see a godly harvest from that. But if you sow things that are, that are corruptible, then you reap the whirlwind, the Bible says, out of that. And it's that law of the harvest. But it's not only in the quality, but the quantity. You sow a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of harvest. But you sow a lot of seed, you get more harvest. It's just a simple thing. And you harvest after you sow, and you harvest longer than you sow, and you get more than you sow. It's a great principle for us. And it ought to encourage us and challenge us to be a people to remember that in due season, we will reap what we have sown. What a great encouragement for us. I think about that parable that Jesus tells about three servants who were all given a portion of money to take care of while the master went away. One was given five and and he took it and he and he did what the master commanded. He was faithful with it, and he had ten. And, and one, he gave two, and he got five. And one did one, and he didn't do a thing with it, but just hold on to it. And the master called him a wicked servant, not because he kept the one, but because he didn't do what the master had called him to do. We are called to be faithful with what God's entrusted to us To those two servants who did what the master said, do you remember what they were told? Well done, good and faithful servant. This work, church, is worthy. It's worth it. And it demands our energy and our time. Now, let me close by doing this. I I told the first service, I'm a typical Baptist preacher. I can close four or five times some Sundays. I'm going to go for once today, okay? Because all of you know where the clock is now and you're watching it. So we've looked at the reality. Let me show you really quickly the response. And it's the last phrase of that verse that we're looking at. And it's that simple statement. If we don't give up. Our response is that we keep on working. We don't give up. You'll see that last phrase of that verse in our English Bibles translated in in really three basic ways. The old King James says, faint, lest we faint. The 
Some translations say don't give up. Some say don't lose heart. And, and, and I love the image here because the picture of the word literally means to go limp. And, and, and what we find is, is that physically or outwardly, we stop when inwardly or spiritually we get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, it leads to quitting. In fact, here's my experience. I usually quit here or here a long time before I ever quit here. When, when I lose energy in my mind and in my heart, or when I lose commitment in one of those places, I will stop. I, uh, I walk this morning, and I try to every morning I can. And I, I, my wife and I used to go and walk at the football field around the track. And, and that didn't work for me. I'm going to tell you why. Every time we got to where the car was, I was ready to quit. So my best walking is, is when I walk a mile away from the house, and then I've got to walk a mile back to the house. Do you know why? Because mentally, I'm a midget when it comes to walking. I'm ready to stop every time because the stuff hurts on me because I'm 50 none of your business. And it just happens. But I know this. I've got to do that because it's important. And we have all of these things in life that we need to do. And if we lose our focus, then, then it's easy just to stop. And this happens to people spiritually all the time. It's why people are not faithful. They make a commitment, I'm going to do this, and, and something happens, they get distracted, they get frustrated, they get discouraged, and then they just stop. And we wonder, where are they? What are they doing? They've quit. We can't give up. In all of the writings of Paul, about half of our New Testament, the only place this word's used in Galatians 6 9. But it's used a couple of other places in the Bible. It's used in Luke chapter 18. Right before Jesus tells what we've come to call the parable of the persistent widow, do you remember the story? The lady goes to this man, he's called a judge. And it says that he doesn't fear God or respect men. And she just keeps going and keeps going. And finally, he gives her what she's asking for because of her persistence. Now, the, the way to understand that passage is not to say, if I wear God out, he'll give me what I want. <clears throat> no, the application is that because God is a loving father, how much more does he want to give his children what they ask for than an unworthy judge would give a persistent widow? And the beginning of that chapter, in verse 1, it says, Jesus told them a parable that they might always pray and not lose heart, faint, or give up. Other prominent place it's used is in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us lay aside the sin or let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame enduring the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And then verse 3, consider him who endured hostility at the hand of sinners, lest we grow weary, give up, or faint. Those two verses of Scripture or passages help me understand that if I'm going to be someone who doesn't give up, then I've got to be a person who spends time in prayer and stays focused on Jesus. I love that second verse of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the idea says we're focused on him. We're laser beamed on him. Not a casual glance. He is my focus of attention. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He endured the cross. We've made the cross an ornament in modern culture, but the cross was an implement of of capital punishment. It was the equivalent of, of a generation ago of the electric chair or a hangman's noose where someone who deserved the cruelest form of death would be crucified because of their crimes. But Jesus endured the cross not for his crimes but our sin and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated meaning his work is done. It's completed. No more are there sacrifices to be made. I'm so thankful that we don't have to come to church and bring goats and lambs with us anymore to make sacrifices because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, once and for all made the final sacrifice for us. And he is there at the right hand of the Father, that place of authority and honor, and waiting for his Father to say, go and gather your children home. We stay focused on him as we seek his face in prayer. And that enables us not to give up. I'm excited about the students going to Falls Creek, excited about our young men from campus here in Owasso going to Falls Creek this week. One of my greatest memories, sadly, of life of giving up happened at Falls Creek. We were there for a spring break retreat. I was on staff at First Baptist Church in Purcell, just south of Oklahoma City. And we got involved in a, in a game they called Earth Ball Soccer. And it was this huge, about six-foot ball, and they had this field divided into four sections. And each team could have four people in each section of the field, and you were trying to push this ball. So here I am, youth minister at the church, um, and I'm down on the goal end of the field. We're trying to keep them from pushing over our end, and it's me and three junior high girls. I outweighed all three of them by myself. And the four guys we were competing against were four high school football players. And uh, 
Some people may know this about me, some may not, but I don't like to lose. In fact, I've won and I've lost. Winning's better, amen? And so I'm competing with everything I've got. And I'm probably 25 years old. Until I got to the place where I just didn't have anything left. I'd become like the Toby Keith song. I was not as good as I once was, but I was as good once as I ever was. But my once was done. And after pushing and pushing and pushing, I was done and I just stepped aside and let them score goals. (laughs) Because I didn't have anything left. You say, well, what a quitter you are. You weren't out there with me. I had done all that I could do. And I gave up. I sadly think that that story is the way a lot of people look at life. Maybe at their house. Maybe at the church. Maybe at their job. But they just say, I've done all that I can do. Can I tell you something? Eventually, in our own strength, we will come to all that we can do. Doing good is work. But it's worth it. And if we try to do it in our own strength, We'll give up. But in his power, praise the Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In his power, now catch this, with his people, we can do it. Don't give up. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. And as we come a time to a time of responding to God and His We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we want to just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, If you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus and I I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, We want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000 and that way one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, Here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.